future is Mecca. In the previous episode, half-chewed rice, chicken, and seaweed went everywhere. You mean he's gonna try it again? I'm gonna try it again. If you don't try out, they win. And you've never been a loser. Hey, Dimlord, why is my dark strutter missing pet? So, like all annoying bugs, you're getting squashed. Not a word. You might be Lord in the Sims with the points to pay Simmers to risk griefing. But let me tell you, in real life, you're a bug. A basic bug who doesn't understand that other people also have points. Many, many more points. And Simmers love to talk for points and share screen caps of chats. Anything to stay out of trouble. So like all annoying bugs, you're getting squashed. Maybe this will be a lesson. Perhaps the only one you learned all by your foolish self. Drones dismissed. And you will be dismissed shortly too, I expect. He shut the door in my face as the drones whined away to charge or to wait for the next task. My face felt hot. I must have turned red as a hydroponic strawberry. C-O-O-O-O-O-O Moon and Mars and Uranus. The afternoon technical stream started off in a blur and a daze as I waited for the drone squad to return and collect me. The guide, Tabitha, was nice enough, even though she dressed like a pauper, all in black with long hair dyed ultra black and her face whiter than white with makeup, except for her mouth and around her eyes, which were black. The kids at the table were fine. They recognized me and asked about the stupid baby, but nothing mean. In the first Veer session, I had to keep stepping back because I was so distracted listening out for drones. It was actually more interesting than this morning's media stream. It was a simple sim where you could drop and throw balls and bricks and balloons, and it showed how you could use simple math to predict where the objects would land, how fast they could move, things like that. I was surprised when the end of stream bell rang. It had really sucked me in and I had forgotten about the drones and everything until I took off my veer set. Then it all settled back down on me like a stinking blanket. I took my time packing up so I didn't have to deal with a hall full of kids shouting at me. It was the last stream of the week, so everyone was trying to get out of there as fast as they could. Tabitha had disappeared before I pulled my setup, so even the guides were keen for the three days off. I trailed the crowd down the stairs and through the halls until it was just me and a few other stragglers passing through the main doors and onto the steps. The landing was mostly clear, the little groups of two and three learners sitting on the steps talking. Mechas were flashing through the air. The roar of takeoffs from the transit pads was continuous. The line of waiting mechas shuffled from the stands and out the gate, where it branched like a vine with a tendril leading to each transit pad. There you are. Did you get your nice little certificate? Said Coda as he came up to me. It was just the stream advisor, I said. Ah, old Coop, he is a helpful fellow, isn't he? He really cares about the learners, said Coda. Was he talking about the same person? Not as much as he cares about boats, I said, and Coda laughed. I wish I had told him about Anu and the cheating so now I could tell him what Cooper had done. But I couldn't. I couldn't tell anyone now. It was probably all going to be over on Monday anyway. The three black dark strutters passed by the stairs in the transit line. Their cockpits were all tinted so I couldn't see Davor, Nabu and Klaus inside. But they saw me. Davor pointed at me and Nabu and Klaus did the same. They didn't broadcast anything. They didn't make any gestures. They just kept their fingers pointed at me the whole time they shuffled by. This made everyone turn and look at who they were pointing at. Just what I needed. 
I guess he was making a joke, but Curtis stood there waving at them and giving them thumbs up as if the performance was friendly instead of threatening. When they turned the corner out the gate and dropped their arms, Curtis turned to me. I would wait until they're entirely out of sight, just to be sure, he said. I was relieved when they took off. They stood out in the flight lane, making it easy to watch them until they shunted up into the high speed lane and zipped away into the distance. There were still quite a few mechas standing around in front of the steps, and they all seemed to be looking at me. Were they waiting for me to get into the baby and stumble home? Want to come and watch the weave I'm directing? It's just on the playing field, said Coda. As you can see, it'll be quite impressive. He swept his hand in front of the waiting mechas. That was kind of a relief, that they were waiting for someone else. It'd be cool to watch the weave and Coda in action, but I said no. I want to get home while I know Davor is nowhere nearby, I said. Very wise, said Coda, and we headed down the steps together and into the stand, followed by the mechas waiting to join the weave. At the feet of his Nova Elite, we said goodbye. Again, Coda put his hand up for a fist bump. Wary, I brought my fist in slow. Just when I thought it was going to be an actual fist bump, he grabbed my hand and twisted it so I had to turn around and my arm ended up behind my back. He gave me a gentle shove away as he laughed. Two in a row, twice too slow, he said, and still laughing, began to climb up the leg of his mecha to the cockpit. The hand and footholds had spring-loaded covers on them that fit perfectly into the surface. You wouldn't even know they were there. It was features like that that made the Nova Elite so sleek and expensive. I followed the pedestrian path through the empty stand, checking over my shoulder for black mechas until I was into the trees. The baby was still there, undiscovered and untouched. I knocked and rode the hand up. Hello, pilot praxist, it said. I just ignored it and slumped in the seat and stared out through the trees at the narrow strip of daylight showing the last of the mechas jetting into the sky. I'm not sure how long I sat there, kind of thinking, kind of stunned by fear of what was going to happen to me. On a normal Thursday, I'd be all excited to get home and start simming. I didn't want to go home. I didn't want to sim. It was like everything bad had already happened, and I was the homeless boy in a veery, abandoned the rehab belt, separated from his family, with only his mecha to help him survive. Except I didn't have a pretend veery mecha that could talk. Mine could barely walk. My sad daydreaming was interrupted by my mini-tab buzzing with a message from Dad. A grocery drone was delivering this afternoon, and he wanted me to get the old pot out to be collected. I gritted my teeth and shut the canopy. I flinched a little at the snap, but didn't jump. Then I began to collide and caram through the trees to the ring road. Disable group comms completely, I said. Group comms disabled? About halfway through the trudge home, I zoned out of my miserable thoughts and back into what I was doing, which was making the baby, obviously. Except now the arms which had been doing weird things on the way to school, were behaving almost normal. They were still a bit sluggish, but they are swinging by my side like I was directing them to, instead of pointing up in the air or drifting straight out to the side. The walking was kind of worse, but more stable. The basic baby seemed to have developed a hip problem, so the walking was more of a wonky waddle, like it wanted to stay in a squat or it had to go to the bathroom real bad. Trying to straighten up just made the torso swing back and forth, nearly sending me off balance but I was saved by the arms mostly moving where I sent them. I was glad I couldn't hear what the kids following me were saying. Between the color of the baby and its stupid random shuffle waddle with its butt sticking out, they were probably exploding into a laugh ride of toilet jokes. I was glad to be deaf to them. It was only after I was in my own street and heading into my yard that I turned group comms back on. Getting onto the mecha pad was easier than yesterday. The waddle felt ridiculous, but it made the stumpy thing more stable, 
so I could just shuffle onto the pad and then shuffle around until I was on the section closest to the house. No point walking an extra five meters when I can spend ten minutes maneuvering a malfunctioning mecha, right? The first thing I did when I was back on the ground was grab the grey and pink striped food pot out of the storage bay and drag it onto the mecha pad right in the middle of the space beside the baby. Then I let myself into the house. I was chewing through my third sandwich of basic chalk spread and basic cheese squares on basic loaf when I got another message from Dad. Drone incoming, it said. I sent back a salute emoji and went outside with my sandwich. The drone came over the roof because all deliveries start in the outer industrial ring where the warehouses are. If you live in the city, the first leg of your delivery happens underground. There are huge tunnels that radiate out from the edge of the city to the industrial ring. New Whitehorse is built a lot like a lunar city, because that's what Glurk knows how to build. Between the city and the first of the habitat rings, there is the gap. The gap is where the tunnels end and where the millions of drones that deliver to the towers and the inner rings wait in massive charging hives along with all the other kinds of drones. They wait for the arrival of the autonomous delivery platforms. They're fat-wheeled vehicles. Just a rolling flatbed, really. They carry multipods from the industrial ring to the pod lifts at the gap. The pods are brought to the surface, opened, and drones rush in to grab smaller pods and deliver them to their destination. The empty multipods are wheeled at high speed back to the industrial ring for the next shipment. I wandered over to the mecha pad as the drone descended. It was so smooth the full pod didn't thud or scrape as it touched down next to the empty one. There was a whir of the drone's hooks on curling as it released the pod. Then a weird thing happened. It rose up and moved over the empty pod, but instead of picking it up, the drone kind of jerked, then it rose slowly, its hooks hanging and swaying, and made an orbit around the baby, sometimes stopping, sometimes twisting, but always mostly facing the baby. It gave another little twist, and like it just remembered what it was doing, zipped over to the pod, secured its hooks in the carriage slots, and flew up into the sky and back over the house. When it disappeared, I realized I was still holding half a chalk and cheese sandwich. I took a bite and grabbed the handle of the pod, tugged hard on it to extend the rear wheels, and dragged it up the step and into the house into the kitchen. After I put all the groceries away and wheeled the pod to the storage bay, I headed for the sim rig. Dad was working late and was going straight to his Thursday group therapy session. I had four hours of uninterrupted sim time to get some practice in for tomorrow. I decided to accept the tower battle invite. Maybe while I practiced, I would come up with the right way to tell my dad everything before I had to face him. Unlikely. But if I ignored it long enough, the problem might solve itself, right? Just like yesterday, it took a bit of time to get back into the zone. Like Rockdog uses the Glurk asteroid mining training sim, Tower Battle uses Glurk's construction trainer. It takes place on the ground, so there's gravity, and the game here is a mix of rapid building, tactical demolition, and hand-to-hand combat. No explosives involved. Just panels, girders, scaffolding, crane drones, beams, and everything else you would find on a tower construction site. You win by either being the last mecha still functional, or, if there are multiple survivors, by having the tallest tower. When Glurk restored the global net all those years ago, they banned a lot of things from using it. One of the things they banned was those dorky Greed Age war games. You know the ones, where people run around shooting each other with realistic or imaginary weapons. Any game that depicted violence was banned. The ban is still in place. It's probably why people play buckets or kittens instead of buckets or bullets or something like that. According to Sim Legend, after Glurk brought the net back online and opened access to all the Sims that were going to train people how to pilot mechas and rebuild the world Glurk style, it took only 30 minutes before Simmers were battling it out in the construction trainer. When access to the asteroid trainer was opened, Simmers were knocking each other around with virtual shatter charges in the first five minutes. They got rid of virtual guns and virtual violence towards people, 
and it was immediately replaced with virtual mecha-on-mecha fighting, sometimes with industrial demolition charges. I imagined the leaders and Glurk gathered together in their gray suits, shaking their heads in disappointment. I'm surprised it wasn't another reason for them to walk away from helping Earth, just like Earth had once walked away from helping them. See? I remember all kinds of things from Common Stream. I hit the lobby for a tower battle game. My chat box started scrolling with, Yo, Prax at 22.30, and variations on that. I liked as many as I could, but they were rolling by fast. I recognized the tags of other global tier players in there and sent greets out to a few. We would probably be seeing each other again tomorrow. Matches today would be like opening chess moves for the Elimination series. We would be sizing each other up, re-familiarizing ourselves with each other's play styles. It was now that players would be deciding who they might temporarily team up with in the opening seconds of a match to take out other competitors. They had to be good, but not so good you couldn't take them out on your own. This meant that you also had to look good, competent, but not dangerous, or you would find no one wanted to team up and everyone was always against you. Matches often started three against one as everyone joined in to eliminate the most threatening player first. I was used to being that one, and had learned not to rely on promises of cooperation. When matches started, I just went for it. That's what I did in the first match, and made it to the final two. In case you don't know, jets don't work in tower battle. Too much backwash. But they're still active, but only in safety mode. One player made the mistake of climbing up my tower to get me using the scaffolding I'd put in place. It was an obvious trap. Halfway up the scaffolding, cross beams become too close together to climb out of. When they reached that point, I simply dropped a couple of high-density support beams down the hole. That wiped them out. The physics engine in tower battle is just as tight as in rock dog. Dropping beams on a virtual active alloy mecha isn't going to scratch it. But you might knock the cockpit into critical, or even pop it if you got lucky. But your best chance lies in wrecking one of their joints. Force an arm or a leg to bend too far and it'll force out the joint, or even shear it off against the edge of a panel. That's what happened to this player. They raised an arm to deflect the beams, but they were too heavy and moving too fast. That arm got driven behind their own head and down until the elbow was below the opposite shoulder and cables started splitting and their ends were swinging out of the gap between the arm and the shoulder plates. Instant shutdown and red flags for them. At that point, there were seconds left on the clock. I could see the other player had also scored a shutdown, but while I was building scaffolding traps, they'd been building straight up like they're heading for the moon. They were going to win on height if I didn't get over there and shut them down or drop their tower lower than mine. I grabbed another beam while calling in a crane drone I had left hovering overhead. It wasn't fast enough to carry me over there. I had to improvise. Bringing it down for just a moment to where I could grab the cargo hook, I sent it flying at maximum speed towards that high tower. With the chain playing out behind it, I waited until it was halfway then stepped off the building and let gravity start accelerating me straight down. The safety jets kicked in as I got close to the ground and reached the end of the chain. I used the weight of the beam to shift my balance and point the foot jets back instead of straight down, turning my fall into a high-powered, high-speed swing. I halted the drone and swung underneath it, and then up, up, and up as my jets cut off. At the very top of the swing, I let go and kept climbing and flying forward. I crested the roof of the tower. The player had their back to me as they placed a wall panel between vertical beams. Surprise! I called out over group comms as I dropped from the sky and brought down the beam I was holding. They started to turn. That's when the match timer ran out. It was a pretty great finish. A tenth of a second longer and it would have been legendary. As an almost win, it was near legendary. I was barely back in the lobby before I started getting pinged with tags from all the shares. The best one was from the other player's view. 
I'm a blur that suddenly freezes into the clear shape of a mecca and the business end of a beam about to do its job. The words match ended snap into view, followed by, You are the winner! I found her tag. It was Glurk Sucks 8891. 8891. A lot of people think Glurk sucks. I sent her a salute. Next time we cross paths, I told myself, I am taking you out before you're even three stories off the ground. That turned out to be the coolest match of the day. The rest were fun, but taggable moments peaked with that swing and miss. Except for one match where I was knocked out second, I was finishing in the final two. In that match, two of the players were working on the same tower, which was weird. Of course, it turned out to be a trap, and I fell for it. While I was climbing one side, they jumped down the other and knocked out the bottom section. It collapsed straight down, and somewhere in the fall, my cockpit was smashed and my heels ended up above my ears. Total catastrophic failure. I took a break after that one and zapped some quick noodles. There was a message from Dad on my mini-tab. It was nothing. He was just going to be home later than he thought because he was going to a Met Cafe. That was a disaster postponed. I followed the noodles with a couple spoonfuls of basic chalk spread straight from the jar and went back to simming. Since in a short amount of time I might really have to do this for a living, I got serious. No more making moves because they are cool or funny, just stone-cold demolition of buildings and bodies. It paid off. I started winning more matches, but never got a streak longer than four. I would need five in the elimination series if I was going to take home the 1,200 points. When I started to lose my timing and the mistakes started to pile up, I logged out. It's always strange taking off the veer set after a long, intense session in The Sims. Your brain's first reaction is to tell you you're still in a sim, and your body's a little surprised that you want to stand up and use your actual legs. It feels for a moment like you're the mecha and your limbs are the prosthetics. You can't help but think, was I a human piloting a mecha, or am I a mecha piloting a human? Then you shake your head, and by the time you're down the hall, reality has clicked back into place. Again, before bed, like I enjoy torturing myself, I was sitting in the dark, staring out the window at the stupid baby. If only it was a hardback ranger, things would be different. In less than two days, that baby had totally wrecked my life. Even looking at the shining core of the city wasn't cheering me up. There was a bright flash in the sky that streaked towards the ground. It was another drop of mechas from Glurk. They churned them out from the automated factories on the dark side of the moon, packed them like gumballs, their arms around their knees, into huge cylinders. They slapped some rocket engines on the back for the Earth landing, and then launched them into space using powerful railguns over a kilometer long. That's how they deliver everything. Some nights there'd be so many drops of mechas, drones, food stations, whatever, that you could smell the hot metal and the burnt fuel everywhere. The same thing was happening all across the world. Well, all across the parts of the world Glurk cared about. The whine of Dad's bike became audible, and then he was in front of the house doing a huge sideways slide that left him with just enough momentum to stand it back up and ride it slowly up the driveway. I pulled my curtains shut and left a gap I could peek through. Why was he in such a hurry? Or was he? Once the bike stopped, he just sat on it for a minute with his arms crossed, nodding his head, tilting it back and forth, like he was having a conversation or remembering one. When he got off the bike, he started whistling as he undid his safety collar and wheeled the bike to the storage bay. My dad is not a whistler. At least I didn't think he was. When he came into the house, I jumped into bed and pretended to be asleep. I heard him come up the stairs and his footsteps went quiet as he reached my door. He stood there a long time. Did he know I was faking it? I made my breathing a little louder and as regular as possible so he could hear I was asleep. As I was pretending, it occurred to me what was weird about that grocery drone this afternoon. 
Yeah, it was weird it scoped out the baby, but what was really weird was the way it moved. It moved like it was being controlled by a person, by someone who knew how to steer a drone but wasn't great at it. Then it was switched back to autopilot. Why would anyone want to use a grocery drone to check out the baby? And who could even hijack a grocery drone? Want more Futures Mecca? And want it sooner? Visit patreon.com slash futuresmecca.